out there, and welcome back to the GameCockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GameCockScoop.com on Rivals. Really exciting time uh, to join GameCockScoop.com Premium if you haven't. Um, baseball is going down the stretch here. Lots of recruiting news, some portal news. Uh, we'll touch on a little bit here, but obviously we want all the insight, all the quotes, all that fun stuff. Uh, GameCockScoop.com. You can join that for less than $100 a year. Um, go ahead and get in early and then ride it through football season, which is when it's the most active anyway. Um, let's talk a little bit of recruiting right here at the top. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about a commit, uh, Dante Reno, who is the 2024 quarterback commit. Um, he recently committed uh, competed in the Under Armour camp up in, I believe it was in New Jersey um, for all the Northeastern kids. Um, Rivals had some people there. We posted some videos on Saturday, got some feedback on all that. Um, He actually ended up winning the camp MVP for quarterback, maybe for offense. I don't remember the specific on that, but he got an MVP award. He also got an Under Armour game invite, uh, which is a pretty big deal. Um, so I think if you had been, if you read our last article where we interviewed Reno, it was probably like two weeks ago on GameCrackScoop.com, you can still go back and look at that. Um, he mentioned that he was going to enroll early, um, in January. Um, now that's still the case, but he's going to participate in the Under Armour game and then enroll after that. So only a little quick update there on that, but obviously, I mean, good news that you're, Quarterback commitment is uh, playing on that big-time stage there. We'll get to kind of go up against some of the best in the country uh, before he arrives on campus and finds himself in the midst of the quarterback battle, most likely, because as we've said, we kind of expect Spencer Rattler, pretty much everyone expects Spencer Rattler to move on after this uh, season, and then it's going to be, what, Doty Sellers, um, Bailey, Bailey. Reno. um, Yeah. On that note, um, we do have a couple transfer portal updates. I believe all of these dropped after the last podcast. Didn't one of them drop during? Didn't we get hit with that in the middle of one last week? I think you're right. I think Braden Davis did. So yeah. Braden Davis, uh, quarterback, entered the portal. Um, I think we talked a little bit about Anthony Rose, who officially yes. is transferring. Um, we weren't sure if there was much of a path for him to get back after being suspended for that arrest um, soon after the season or whatever. But either way, he's not going to try to get back. Uh, if there was a path, he's he's transferring. Um, we also had Demetrius Watson, who is a uh, reserve defensive lineman, and Colin Heinrich, who is a reserve offensive lineman. Um None of those guys were really expected to make much of an impact. I mean, maybe Rose, but obviously we already knew that that ship had sailed a a while back. Um, But yeah, none of the other ones were really going to be depended on too heavily this year. And so they're off to uh, seek greener pastures and and good luck to them all. Pretty much, I mean, portal-wise for the spring window, they didn't really have any attrition. Now that comes along with a lot of it in the winter. Um, A lot of guys out, but they didn't really – there's no one they lost in the spring window where you would say, ooh, that's going to be a big loss. It's going to, well, portal-wise at least. We're going to get to that in a second. But, yeah, yeah it's probably, I'd say, a successful portal window there in terms of outgoing. But now we got to see what the ingoing looks like. Yeah, and we have heard a couple of names. Perhaps the 
biggest name in terms of position of need um, is Jatias Gear, not Greer, Gear. Um, he's a former BHP uh, up in the upstate um, high school athlete that went to Syracuse. He was a three-star uh, defensive end coming out of high school. Um, pretty good, you know, potential and size, so, you know, power five uh, transfer and obviously at a position of need. So that's that's one that I think we should feel pretty good about at the moment. We'll keep you in the loop on that again, coxscoop.com. But uh, yeah, Jatia's gear is a good name to keep in mind. There's a couple others that we've heard a little bit on. Um, there was even an offensive lineman out of Mercer um, on campus yesterday, I believe. Yes. And I imagine if South Carolina decided to pull the trigger on on that, that that would be a shoe-in. Um, and I do think that they'll probably look for some sort of Band-Aid at offensive line, uh, I believe is how you described it. Because, um, because fortunately, uh, yeah. Yesterday, um, Shane Beamer introduced the new defensive line coach, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, but also he answered a couple questions, and one of those questions was concerning um, offensive lineman uh, Jalen Nichols. There it is. We talked. We talked about it. Uh, I guess it would have been two episodes ago. Now, when we when we recapped the spring game, he went down on the second drive of the spring game. I'm not a doctor. From where I sat, it looked pretty terrible. It looked like kind of an ACL. It was definitely knee related. Um, his parents were on the sideline with him later. He obviously didn't come back in the spring game. And Shane Beamer said yesterday he will be out for at least the start of the season. He didn't say the whole year, although he does tend to kind of undersell injuries. We've seen that in the past. So I wouldn't bank on him being back. But at minimum, South Carolina has lost its projected starting left tackle for the start of the year with a front-loaded schedule, too. I mean, you've got North Carolina week one, Georgia week three, Tennessee week five. Um, that's a big loss. There's just no way around it. Yeah. Um, even if he does somehow come back uh, later in the season, you're you're missing him for the, the brunt of your most difficult games. Um, so that's that's going to be tough. Uh, we kind of talked about who might fill in there um, a little bit after the spring game, but um, projecting Ja'Kai Moore probably uh, to, to slide in there. Maybe Marky Anderson, but that's a, a really big ask for a true freshman who I do project one day should be the starting left tackle there, but that's that's a lot um, right out of the gates. Uh, you obviously brought on uh, Sidney Fugar, who big body. I, I would also kind of describe as a band aid, though. You know, he's uh, none of them are Jalen Nichols, who yeah. I I don't know. Is it fair to say Jalen Nichols was the best pass blocker on this roster at any line position? I think so. Yeah, I mean, certainly if you combine the talent with the experience, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's going to be tough. Uh, I, like I said, it won't surprise me if they bring in another, uh, bandaid situation just for depth. Um, but it's going to be tough to find someone of that caliber in the portal this late. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> project that. Um, so that, that's going to be, uh, an area of concern. They're going to have to figure out, uh, how to get some guys up to speed very quickly. And, uh, also probably, adjust the game plan a little bit to cover up some of that deficiency as well. Um, you're probably not going to want to take too many five, seven step straight drops uh, against a Georgia D line or anything um, <laughs> with 
with what you got at left tackle. You're right going to need a more mobile Spencer, Spencer Rattler, too. We saw some of that towards the end of last season. I feel like we had a conversation early last year that he wasn't running enough. He wasn't using his legs enough. But you're going to need him to step up in the pocket and make quicker decisions. Um, get outside. And you're probably going to need that anyway. But not having a, your starting left tackle just underscores that even more that you're going to need Spencer Rattler to be a dual threat guy this year. Yeah, and again, if we're talking scheme, I imagine you're going to try to roll away from that left tackle. The left side, as yeah. As much as you can. Um, obviously, not so much that that becomes predictable, but um, I imagine you're going to have to build that in some. So, And yeah, uh, you brought in Mario Anderson, uh, who's a pretty big-bodied running back. Um Let's let's hope that he can block out of the backfield. Some chip blocks a little bit, yeah. That's because you're probably not counting on a lot of that from no disrespect. DJ McDowell at his size, I don't know if it's fair to ask to carry on Jordan to do that, even though Beamer said he's had some good reps at that in the spring. Again, new position. You're yeah, you're that's it. That's the other kind of wrinkle angle, I guess, of not having your full complement of running backs is a lot of times you rely on them in pass protection too. I wonder if you're gonna see more tight end sets with a tight end off left tackle. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's a Nick Elksness kind of job, maybe. Um, you probably want Trey Knox going out to catch passes more, but I don't know, Josh Simon, is that going to become something for him, kind of pass protection? Um, there's a lot of options here. This is where the rebuilt tight end room helps, um, but I think you might see more 12 personnel than you might have otherwise. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. And, um, you know, I think you have one of the better tight end groups in the country so uh that uh that could help cover up some of that deficiency but you're definitely gonna have to get a little creative here um you would have liked to have nickels there to to play with but um but yeah so we got the official word on that uh another couple things that have happened since we last talked is d-line coach jimmy Lindsay took a job at lsu um i believe beamer yesterday said that uh what is the LSU coach's name? Brian. Brian Kelly. He got Kelly. it. Man, my brain. Uh, I don't know what's going on today. Uh, Brian Kelly reached out a couple weeks ago about that, uh, which allowed uh, Beamer to go ahead and start kind of thinking about who would be next. And yesterday, officially, although we got the word um, a little earlier than yesterday on that, uh, Travian Robertson's coming back home, uh, former uh, South Carolina edge rusher, linebacker, a um, little bit of do everything. You see the numbers for Lindsey, yeah. by the way. No, LSU bumped his salary from four seventy five here to seven fifty, and also paid three hundred thousand for him to get out of the South Carolina contract. Well, that's how pretty hard to turn down. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Um, but honestly, I think a good move by Beamer to bring in Robertson, yes. who's, who's definitely a rising star um, as a coach, and. Um, obviously just making the South Carolina connection. Uh, we've heard good things about him as a recruiter and who better to be recruiting to South Carolina than someone. That's the thing we were mentioned yesterday. Yeah. Um, any other takeaways from that, that uh, press conference yesterday? And then I, I know that you also got an inside look um, at uh, what was it? His former coach. I actually didn't read that article. Yeah. So I'll get to that in a sec. First thing, Y'all know this, you're South Carolina people. He's extremely South Carolina, obviously played here under Spurrier. He was part of that 2010 champion, uh, SEC East Championship team. He clearly loves South Carolina. I didn't know this, but his wife was an SEC champion in track here at South Carolina. He got married on campus. His kids are here. Like, this is 
people like say, oh, this is where I want to be. This is exactly where Travian Robertson wants to be. Um, and that was just dripping out of them the whole time. And a Beamer too, because Beamer coached him. He was special teams coordinator and Robertson was a player here. So maybe not directly. He wasn't like his D-line coach. But Travian Robertson and Shane Beamer have a relationship going back over a decade now. Beamer said he made one phone call, which I believe, I mean, that was the choice. And don't forget also, he was at Tulane, who went 12-2 and last year with a very good defensive line, top 10 in the country. Like, that's not just a, a welcome home hire. That's a guy who's coached well. He coached with Jordan Strong at Georgia State before Tulane. Um, Beamer said he called Strong before he made the hire. There's a lot of pieces that make sense here about this. No, yeah, and I mean, he's got a lot of good pieces to work with as well, um, and something that I think fans immediately sort of responded to when Lindsey left was, oh, he's a really good recruiter, um, which is true. Uh, he, he's a good recruiter. There's a reason LSU you wanted him, yeah. all that sort of thing. Um, but also, I think that this is something that you're going to have to deal with as South Carolina continues to build. Um, every program that has success has to deal with this is um, – other schools wanting your guy and being willing to pay those guys. And I, I really don't think that this is a scenario where South Carolina is underpaying their assistants or anything. I think oh, they've really, dude. I think the Beamers really uh, emphasized trying to make sure that his assistants get paid as, as they continue to, to ramp up, but it's hard to compete with a 300,000. I don't, I don't know if 750,000 are making the most, the highest paid D line coach in the country. I think it would have to put him in the top few. Yeah, and then he added the 300, the 300 k they gave him to get out of South Carolina. And in some ways, that's over a million for a position yeah. coach, which yeah. there's no that's way really South Carolina is going to compete with that. I mean, that's – yeah. Um, and yeah. then the other thing I did, um, he mentioned that he got his coaching career started with a high school – a meeting with former South Carolina kicker. Some of y'all might remember the name Mark Fleetwood from the early 80s. He was a kicker in South Carolina. Became a high school coach in Georgia and through a whole, I guess, kind of web of Gamecocks, for lack of a better term, it's all in the story. It's on GameCocksTube.com. He got him a meeting with Mark Fleetwood in 2015 when he was, when Robertson was done with the NFL. He wasn't sure what he wanted to do next. And Mark Fleetwood said, Hey, you'd be a pretty good coach. He spent some time on the high school field in Georgia. He liked it. Got a job as a GA at Georgia State. Went to a D school, D2 school, went back to Georgia State, went to Tulane. And now he's in South Carolina. So I talked to that high school coach and former Gamecock last night. Um, luckily, a guy actually from my neck of the woods, so I had the number already, and that was a pretty easy story. But it's an interesting look for sure. And just another sign that he is, like I said, exactly where he wanted to be this whole time. Yeah. Um, and as I was saying before, too, I think uh, he's got a really good group to work with. Um, nice mix of – uh, veteran talent like uh, Boogie Huntley, TJ Sanders, um, but also some newcomers, uh, Xavier McLeod, uh, who I think flashed a little bit in the spring game yeah. already. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to to see how that shakes out. They're in uh, the recruiting game already with several 2024 and 2025 uh, defensive linemen, including uh, Mari Adams, who's one of the top defensive linemen in the 2025 class. Um, another name that's escaping me right now that's like top three or four defensive linemen in the 2025 class. Um, so his immediate job is going to be make contact with those guys, uh, reestablish that relationship, and uh, sort of hit the ground running, which I did see he was just recruiting in Atlanta today and yep. made his first 
author. Um, I don't have that name right in front of me, but um, yeah, he was back out there yeah, today. So, and, and I think then, it's also interesting. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's um, interesting too that you've got an outside linebacker slash edge coach here too. So you've got kind of two D line coaches. He mentioned yesterday that he talked to Sterling Lucas. He's got a good relationship with Sterling Lucas, but that's also a dynamic at play here that he's really coaching defensive tackles, even though his job title says defensive line, but you've got two guys there with some uh, D line expertise when you factor in Lucas. Yeah. Um, and that name I was looking at Christian Garrett. Uh, so guy out of Atlanta that he offered this morning. Um, I actually will have to look into that person a little bit more. That's not a name I knew before, but um, yeah. So we, uh, he hit the ground running uh, immediately and I'm, I, th I think it's a good move. It pretty much as good as you can ask for. At uh, this stage too, yeah. you're hiring a coach in May is not common at all. No, exactly. Um, we do have a couple men's basketball notes before we get into our in-season sport in baseball. Um, so South Carolina landed who I think is their biggest uh, portal target from this period in BJ Mack. That was last Thursday, I believe. Um, let's say Wofford, forward, center, you know, kind of tweener. Um but scored at a, at, a, at a crazy clip at Wofford this past year, 16.1 points per game, uh, several rebounds per game. Uh, really fits almost perfectly into what I think Lamont Paris wants out of his big uh, bigs on the inside uh, in the sense that he can score by just sort of like banging it in there, but also he's got a little bit of touch, um, a little bit of finesse to his game. Um, and I, I think probably projects immediately as someone that's going to start. No um, and I thought I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about what that starting five or yeah. six or seven look like a little bit uh, going into next year. So Michi Johnson, yeah, probably going to run the point. Um, you have Jacoby Wright who's going to factor in there, but I don't know if he is in the starting five. I think he might um, be your starting two guard, maybe. Well, who yes. who did you have in mind for that spot? Well, so that's that that's actually kind of a loaded spot right now, I think. So you got Talon Cooper. Mm -hmm. um, you have Zach Davis, who I think flashed and showed some good things as a freshman. And then you have Abrima Deba coming back, who could play some forward, could play some guard. Uh, we'll kind of see how that shakes out. So that one, that's really the biggest question mark for me. But I think all four of those guys are going to factor in and get plenty of minutes. Yeah, I um, kind of think it's Jacoby just with the experience in the system and also how well he played last year down the stretch. But you're right. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those four got the nod. And then we also uh, got Miles Stute out of Vanderbilt, um, who projects as either small forward, power forward. Um, I think he'll get plenty of minutes as well. Uh, you got Stephen Clark, who's kind of the Hayden Brown replacement not quite as um physical as hayden brown but uh you know comes from the citadel uh kind of a, a multiple var variable scorer as well i think he'll fi factor in um and then you still have josh gray and bj mack as we're saying too so i kind of think that's your four or five starting gray at center and bj mack at the four am i crazy or is that kind of what i think it looks like in the front court that's not that sounds right to me but i also do think Stute and clark both fac factor in for some pretty heavy minutes so overall and this is something that we talked about a couple weeks ago you don't have a gg jackson on this squad 
Um, but I do think you're much deeper and you have a lot more options. Um, That's the big thing. Not working. You've got Lamont Paris has options. He's got in-game adjustments. If you want to go big, you can put kind of Mac out there with Gray. You know, you can kind of go big lineup with Clark in there at the three. If you need to go small, you need to shoot. All right, we'll shoot the three-point shooter. Cooper, the three-point shooter. You can, you can really, you can run a four-guard lineup. We did that some last year with um, Chico, Michi, Jacoby, I'm blanking the other. But he, he did that a little bit last year, too. If you wanted to, I don't know, run a Michi Johnson, Talon Cooper, Miles Stute, Jacoby Wright lineup when you're down eight with three minutes to go and need some threes, you can do that. Like, he's got puzzle pieces to mix and match here, which just wasn't the case last year. No, and I think you look at that um, that roster and you have to feel a little bit more optimistic about them at least making noise in the SEC next year. I'm not saying that they're, uh, ex- they're, they should be expected to be a tournament team or anything necessarily, um, but I think you probably can project more in the middle grouping, yeah. which is a wide range between, I don't know, like – seven to 14 i mean seven to 12 or whatever um and if you finish in the upper part of that grouping maybe you're a bubble team i i'd be interested to see and we're still three-ish months away from this but interested to see how they schedule non-conference because last year that was just i don't want to say right off but you knew what it was i think you can tell a lot about teams by how aggressively they schedule what they want their team to do what they think they can handle i'm interested to see who lamont brings to play here if he's trying to get into any I know they're already in one showcase event in Charlotte. Um, like I think it's like the first Friday of the season or something, but kind of who they schedule, where they where they think this roster is right now and kind of start, if you're trying to build out a bubble team and you need probably nine or 10 SEC wins and eight or nine non-conference wins, kind of how they go about doing that. Yeah, definitely. So um, I do think at least the excitement heading into next basketball season will be a little elevated compared to what it was this past yeah. season um you know as as people who get paid to talk about this sort of thing it wasn't the most fun season that we we've experienced um over the past year but uh also i do think it got more fun and i think um paris kind of at least proved his basketball uh like strategic chops including some wins that probably um not probably they were definitely out talented uh on but they they were able to pull it off and so i'm interested to see what he can do with a more balanced roster they were a better team at the end of last year than the start of last year i think without question and then he's not going to play in 2023-24 season but you've got to increase recruiting news today too right so um on top of bj mack joining we also got news that the um final roster spot is being filled so we we I, I can't remember if we said on the podcast or not we definitely put it on gamecockscoop.com the two finish um <clears throat> players there was a forward and a guard uh morris ugasuk and i can't remember the forward's name right off the top of my head uh they were both originally 2024 guys and we got word today that um morris ugasuk um is going to, I, I hope i'm saying his last name right but uh, he's going to reclassify for 2023 and go ahead and enroll. Um, so that's that last roster piece. Don't know how much he'll factor in uh, as a freshman. You were saying that um, you've heard more that this is just to get him acclimated and, and get a year under his belt um, in the system sort of thing coming from Finland. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's 
we have our roster fully set for next year unless something weird happens. Yeah, and then you, we haven't mentioned them yet, but you're talking about next year's. So not, they're not going to start, but you've got Arden Conyers and Colin Rory Boyles into the rotation at some point next year too. Um, yeah, which actually it wouldn't surprise me uh, if Colin Murray Boyles contributes somewhat. Um, he's finished really, really strong uh, as in his high school career and really shot up some some rankings there. I think that that was a almost diamond in a rough sort of yeah. uh, player that they found there. So it'll be interesting to see there. But overall, yeah, I, I think you have to feel pretty good about the roster, at least compared to where we were a year ago. Not even a question. Um, Baseball-wise, so I think we we blew too much smoke <laughs> last week. We were talking about how it was basically inevitable that they were going to be a top-eight seed. And then they came out. Uh, we, we talked about how they had only lost one game at home. Um, how the rest of the schedule looked good, including a pretty easy uh, series against Auburn. And then uh, pretty quickly that did not work uh, work out for them. So they they went one and two this past weekend against Auburn at home, lost the first two games of the series, needed some late game heroics from an unlikely source and Will Tippett, um, who hit his first career home run to sort of lift that rally. Um but yeah, ultimately did get that that Sunday game. Uh, baseball America and D1 Baseball and all the baseball polls didn't really punish South Carolina very much. They're still sitting right there at three and four in most of the polls. And we were kind of talking before we got on here that we think a lot of that has to do with the injuries and, and being kind of forgiving of those injuries. Can you kind of give us a rundown of, of what those injuries look like? What's what are what some of the timelines you, you kind of are thinking are on some of them are? And we'll get a hopefully more updates tonight after the winter game. But All right. All right. Here's kind of where I'm at with baseball right now. It's this team just needs to get healthy before the postseason. Yes. You very much want a top eight seed. I still think there's a way they can do that for sure. You go four and five, five and four, these last nine SEC games, but you've got Talmadge Lee Croy, your regular third baseman who pulled his hamstring two weeks. They're not pulled, but he had a hamstring injury two weeks ago. He's not back yet. He took a pinch hit appearance on Saturday, but, he grounded out the short and couldn't run. I don't know what to expect there. I think he's close, but maybe not this weekend, next weekend. Um, Braylon Wimmer, a key piece, obviously, your senior leader, your shortstop, the guy who's been hitting second most of the year, also a hamstring problem. Uh, Kingston said that his timeline would be about the same as Lee Croy's, which means you're starting a two- to three-week clock last. He got hurt Friday. So that that's really – close to the end of the regular season with these three weeks left. So you're talking about maybe Hoover for Wimmer or that last series, but got to see there. Um, Will McGillis, it's been kind of quiet on that front for a while. They said six to eight weeks when it happened, we're at six weeks now or coming up on six weeks um, on Friday, it will be. So you got to think close, but again, you're probably targeting Hoover, maybe the regional um, and then the concerning one, the most concerning one that just keeps getting pushed and it doesn't sound good is Noah Hall. It's just, it doesn't sound like he's throwing yet. It's still that back injury. It keeps getting pushed a week. They announced Matthew Becker as a weekend starter last weekend instead of doing the to be announced thing, which is probably not a good sign on the Hall front. Um, I, this is not me reporting anything. I think the staff is just planning on going the rest of the year, at least the regular season without Noah Hall. I mean, you think about, whatever a ramp up would be in the next three weeks for a pitcher, especially it's just, just not that much runway left. Um, 
it's not a good injury situation right now, and especially on the infield where you're missing three out of your four guys. They've kind of had to get creative. That's why Tippett's playing. Braswell's playing every day. They've had to move Cole Messina from catcher to third base because they're out of third baseman, which means French has to catch. It's kind of a mess right now injury-wise, really, and hopefully we'll know more tonight from Kingston, but it's not good. Which the good news, it does sound like almost all of those that you mentioned would be back um, around playoff time. Um, yeah. Which is, like you said, the most essential. Although, uh, particularly in baseball, I do think like the gelling of a lineup and the momentum and all of that matters. So it, it will be interesting. Uh, you'd, you'd like to get at least, yeah, a couple of games in Hoover with that lineup before you play a regional. Um, but yeah, it sounds like eventually they're, they're going to get back. But this, this is uh, like getting a little bit eerie to last season. I mean, obviously, they're in much better position, can afford to lose more games, all that sort of thing. Um, but down the stretch, you know, injuries were, were a big concern. I think the one difference, though, is it was pitcher injuries last year they couldn't withstand. You don't like losing position players, but you still have arms that you can get through weekends with. Yeah, which tonight, uh, first-time starter – it was going to be SQ. They actually made it Eli Jones. Oh. They got a correction. But I still think SQ pitches tonight just because they're going to be saving arms for the weekend. Yeah, so I actually thought that that when SQ was uh, pitching, that kind of indicated that they were trying not to throw the Eli's as much tonight. But um, Maybe an inning for Eli Jones. Yeah. Inning two. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be – he only threw, I think, an inning and a third on Sunday against Auburn. So we'll see. Um, it's a weird time for a midweek. I think it's Wednesday instead of Tuesday this week because some kids still have finals Monday and Tuesday this week, I think is the reason. But you're at Kentucky this weekend. That's kind of regardless of what happens tonight. That's the main thing. It's a road SEC series. It's a place they haven't played well historically. Kentucky's 11-10 and 10 right now in the league, so tracking for a regional, but maybe not a top, probably not going to host. Um Winnable series for sure. It's a winnable series for sure. And when you look at next week, when you're going on the road to Arkansas, especially, um, I don't want to say it's a must win because they're not going to miss the tournament if they lose two out of three this weekend. But if you're trying to like map out another four or five wins for a top eight seed, you probably want to have two this weekend. Yeah, agreed. Um, and very doable, but also that was the case this past weekend yeah. uh, as well. Anything in particular as we're like scouting Kentucky that South Carolina fans should be looking out for or thinking about? Have you they are a that? small ball team. That's kind of the main thing. They don't hit a lot of homers, but they I believe they lead the conference in stolen bases. They lead the conference in sack bunts. They're going to try to do it one base at a time. It's not a power lineup at all, um, which could work either way for this team. We've seen some have some home run problems at times, but they're going to put pressure on the bases. They're going to force the catching to be on point this weekend, which if you don't have Messina behind the plate, that could be an issue. Um, it's just a different kind of style to what a lot of the other teams in the SEC do, but they've also lost. Kentucky started hot. They started, I think, 8-1 and one in the league, and they've lost four straight series. Tough series. They were at Vanderbilt last week. They played at LSU, um, A&M. They played. So they're struggling right now, but they're still probably a regional team and definitely not someone you can take lightly, but it's going to be a different weekend for sure. Yes. Just kind of they're constructive. Conflicting styles, right? Does South Carolina's yeah, reliance on uh, the home run and on power, uh, is it able to score enough runs to kind of keep that the inevitable uh, you know, few runs here and there that are going to come out of that small ball? Um, you know, can you can you just outpace them pretty much? Um, That's kind of where I would look at it too, yeah. 
So uh, yeah, it would be really interesting. Uh, I think you take two out of three here. You're feeling pretty good going down the stretch uh, about still getting that top eight seed. If you lose another series uh, to what I would say is an inferior opponent, at least uh, compared to the early part of the schedule, but like you said, a lot of injuries right now. Um, I don't think it's like hit the panic button because I think we're going to have to take a lot of the last three weeks with a grain of salt um, until they get healthy. But, uh, you know, it, it definitely is going to matter um, when it comes to seeding in the tournament and uh, that path to Omaha, which we, I think most South Carolina fans are still kind of ex- not expecting Omaha necessarily, but, you know, I've, I've looked at flights. I've, I've kind of yeah. kept my eye on it just in case. Here's a stat for you. Kentucky has 44 sack bunts this year. The next closest team in the SEC is Alabama with 16. Wow. Small ball. They're going to do 44? it. And they lead the, they, is that what you said? 44. And they've got 70 stolen bases, which also leads the SEC. They're going to – and they also lead the SEC in stolen base attempts. They have 92. They're going to bunt. They're going to steal bases. They're going to do it small. And how do you feel like South Carolina like matches up there because – I haven't watched every single series. We've kind of split here and there. And uh, obviously the home series you've been covering lately. So I haven't watched them consistently in a couple of weeks, or at least not every game. But I do feel like that's been a little bit of a struggle, stolen bases um, in particular. That's, uh, that worries me more with the catching stuff. The yeah. catching than anything. Because if, if Lee Croy can't play this weekend, which we'll hopefully go more tonight, that means Basina has to play third, which means you're down to a backup catcher. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the main thing there. It's, it really goes back to the injuries, and you got to play. Yeah, got to play good defense too. The balls have been on the ground a lot. You can't make errors, and we know that's been a struggle for this team at points too. Yeah, that seemed cleaned up a little bit over the past. It was few better years, against Auburn, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but definitely, uh, you think back to like the Vanderbilt series that was single-handedly kind of probably what lost that series. So. Where's your panic meter right now? One to ten. I'm at like a two. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you know if we were to get some conflicting injury news other than the ones you just ran down, um, then maybe you ratchet it up a little bit. Uh, if it seems like the majority of those guys aren't going to be back by the end of the year, but if everyone's back by the end of the year, maybe you take a couple of lumps on the way, but uh, you've got a fully functioning team going into the playoffs. I think you can compete with anybody in the country. That's kind of where I am too. This team just needs to be healthy. It's kind of what I wrote after the Auburn series. Um, if you're mapping it, like I said, that's a, you don't want to look ahead. That's a brutal series next week at Arkansas. Arkansas is 11-1 at home in the league. They haven't lost a home series all season. Like, you're probably st- – I don't want to say probably, but there's a good chance you're staring at a series loss next weekend just given the fact that nobody's won a series there all year in Arkansas, and that's another national seed contender. So it makes winning the series this weekend all the more important just to kind of avoid what could be three straight series losses. Yeah, and then you finish up the season. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee here. Um which is winnable, but they, they're pretty good too. So, They've woken up uh, the last couple of weeks for yeah. sure. Um, obviously, pretty much since they swept Bandy, that's kind of yeah. going. So. Um, it'll be really interesting down the stretch. I don't think you see a full collapse, um, even with all of the injuries. And that's really all that you need right now is to just kind of keep the, the ship steady long enough for those guys to get back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can talk about different things for a national seed or whatever, and I'm sure we will over the next few weeks. Um, but you need to get healthy. I think taking two this weekend would do a lot just to kind of buy more time for some of those guys and kind of make you feel better about things. Um, 
But as long as you don't completely capitulate, you should at least host, be in that top 16. Um, that's kind of where I am right now with it, with you, three weekends to go. Do you see any stumbling blocks in the midweek? Um, Winthrop's not terrible. I think tonight could be weird just because it's a Wednesday instead of a Tuesday. They're going to be saving arms, but it's also on the road. Um, but other than that, I think they got two other midweeks. It's North Florida and Charlotte. I guess Charlotte did beat them in one up there, but it's at home. Um, I say probably not. I think the weirdest one would be tonight, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, which again won't be the end of the world if you right. lose one of those three. They've only lost one all year. They're 10 and one in midweeks right now. Yeah, taking care of business. So, all right. Well, um, check us out on gamecockscoop.com this evening. Uh, Alan's going to be up in Rock Hill with some live updates from that one. And then we will split the series this weekend uh, versus Kentucky or at Kentucky. And um, we'll be back here next week to talk about how it went, preview Arkansas, yep. and talk about any other news in the meantime. Uh, so until next time, this has been the GamecocksGroup.com podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and like and share and all that fun stuff. And uh, we'll see you next time.